Hello, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Doors Hybrid Intelligence Podcast, where we bring together interesting people doing interesting things from the worlds of business, innovation, design, technology, and culture. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by one of my favorite people, David Sheldon Hicks, founder of Territory Studio. As we continue exploring the theme of optimism, and also in this episode, David and I are going to discuss innovation within the media space, and also what he's learned from working with some of the world's greatest film directors, such as Ridley Scott. Now, if you're not familiar with Territory Studio, I can pretty much guarantee you've seen some of their work. The studio began life specialising in motion graphics for things like gaming and content creation. And today, David and his team work on a wide variety of areas, including automotive user experience and special effects for feature films such as Prometheus, Guardians of the Galaxy and Blade Runner 2049. So welcome to the show, David. Oh, thanks, Lee. Thank Thank you for such a kind introduction. So... Why don't we start by you explaining a bit more about Territory Studio, maybe a bit about the story and the, and the work you do and, and your background, just to set the scene. Yeah, absolutely. So we, well, I mean, we always have struggled with uh, defining ourselves. I think we, so myself and two others co-founded the studio 10 years ago. Uh, another league, Lee Fasciani and uh, Nick Glover, we, we were all friends at another agency and just were at the time, I guess, in our careers where we'd, we'd move, moved around and worked to different places. We'd found a kind of commonality as, as friends in terms of the ways in which we looked at and how an agency should be. I'd, I'd worked in the film industry prior and I'd also worked on, on computer games and on various different TV commercials. And, and it had always, had always been inspired by, you know, the ideas of the Bauhaus, you know, just kind of it doesn't really matter what the final execution is, but it, it's always wonderful to just use creative problem solving and then figure out what the final execution might be. So that kind of holistic version of design was was appealing. So Lee had a great background in graphic design and I, I was more moving image and kind of narrative design. So we thought, wouldn't that be great? And then about a year into setting up, we also added a chap called Luke Miles, which um, he had more of a, an industrial design background. Yeah, so, so he, he had a background from Virgin, is that right? Virgin Atlantic. That's right, yeah, Virgin Atlantic yeah. And, and, and service design and, and physical spaces. Yeah. So we, we all kind of created this agency together and, and it's been, yeah, like I said, it's been going 10 years now. We, about halfway through that 10-year period, we split the companies apart because they were all going in their own different directions and they, they needed to talk about themselves in different ways. And often the... The trouble with feature films is it can sometimes have this effect of overshadowing the other work that you do. So, so we kind of we 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 kind of stayed all friends and we we're kind of connected in terms of brand and everything. But we're kind of driving off and and building companies around, I guess, um, our own motivations and and ways in which we want to build things up. But your work now is becoming even more uh, diverse as well, isn't it? Did you find that the problem is almost repeating itself again within the sector that you? that you settled on, that that in itself is quite diverse and fragmented? I think because I'm a creative, I'm a creative that's, that's managing a business, but because I'm a creative, I'm fascinated by lots of things. And it's, it's very hard not to see the interconnection of one creative discipline to another. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, Territory Studio at one point became, you know, purely just motion design, but actually as we've moved forward, we've realized how motion design interconnects with so many other things. Yes. And very early on, um, about a year into Territory Studios starting up, we, we had the pleasure of working with Ridley Scott's team on Prometheus. And, you know, a huge break for us really as a studio because it was a, a project that had some fame to it and, and really started us on a course of working with feature films more directly on computer interfaces and screen graphics and holograms and this kind of future visioning idea that becomes part of the world building in films. Mm. So we would, you know, we'd turn up to a film set, there'd be computers on the film set and we'd feed all the graphics and the data displays into that. So quite niche. And it made us realize that there's all these beautiful crossovers in the, in the work that we're, that we're doing. And we, we, we love to explore how you can take say something like onset screen graphics and make that applicable to other problems. So about four years ago, we thought, well, we're, we're, what we're doing essentially is we're taking live graphics, 
you know, creating miniature stories and, and world building out of that. And that's, that's a lot of what's being done in the experiential space. So yes. could, could we apply the same skill set and the same, same talent to, to the experiential world? And we've, we've had some wonderful successes in terms of, we worked on an opera, um, we, you know, we created content on a, on a, on a wonderful um, touring opera. We, we've, we've been part of um, doing a lot of work with museums. We, we recently worked on a museum at the top of um, an Austrian mountain, um, all spe- you know, content around um, James Bond and creating you know, experiential Fantastic. narrative. So, it, it's, and it's when these projects come along, I find it very hard to say, well, no, we can't really do that because it's not what we do currently because yes. we, we, we're creative problem solvers. I, th- I think I've just been naturally um, attracted to people that have that creative flair and just um, imagine things that just maybe other people can't, but, but also have some technological rigour um, and innovation and, and be slightly brave with doing new things technologically that can set them free creatively yeah, and you've so got to think be able I, to execute in these in this day and age as well, hasn't haven't you? I mean, you can you can generate lots of ideas, but I think especially in the work that you're doing, or within the you know the innovation and product space uh, that Door works in, you have to be able to sort of translate those ideas and and execute them. In in your case, in whether it's a an event or or, or a film, right? Something has got to be built and implemented otherwise it's just an idea that's that's right that's completely right i mean i our film clients are very similar to all of our clients in fact whether we're working with somebody at brand or um an r&d team you know a a tech company or whoever it might be they're all great creative minds you know they've all we're, we're normally working with people that have struck upon a great creative idea but they now need that bringing to life and we take on some quite complex technical or sometimes often quite dry ideas and, and bring them to life in a way that kind of keeps people interested. Um, you know, we, we d- people don't think that data in a film could be interesting, I guess, on, on first glance, but it actually becomes a, a storytelling piece or, sure. or a character within a movie. And um, that challenge that, is really intriguing to me. Something I also found fascinating in the work that you do is for example on Mindhunter where you're actually building objects which form part of the background or part of the scenery so for instance you produced a 3d model of a vintage microphone or you're setting in helicopters which aren't there or rich environments when someone's I think there was a shot of someone talking in a in a phone box and it looks completely real, like they, it looks like they're on a petrol station forecourt or something. And none of that's yeah. real. They're just, <laughs> they're just standing in the studio with a, with a green screen. So a lot of the work that you do is actually creating those physical environments and putting things together that I think the viewer doesn't appreciate. Because that's part of the illusion and magic of, of film in a way, isn't it? Oh, completely, completely. I mean, my, my love, my love of creativity and my, my love of what we're doing is, is quite childlike. You know, I look, at, I look at my children growing up now and I can definitely see me in them. And they, they just, they watch a cartoon or they watch a film and you just see the awe in their faces and the, the complete pleasure in losing themselves in these creative worlds. And I think I still have that. You know, that is definitely my love of, of literature and, and films and music and it transports you, you know, and <laughs> when we're all isolated in our homes at the moment, you know, just, just that imagining what if um, I can easily let myself fall into that. And I think I've probably built an agency around me that is just fascinated by that idea of world building and, and transporting people to, to places that either don't exist or can be constructed in some way. And, and, we do it with brands, you know, we, we build these worlds and then we construct stories on top of them. And that thread is, is just an emotion, it's just the way that I'm wired. You know, people have asked me, you know, would you, um, would you ever do something else? And I, and I really struggle with that because I think mm. I've, 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 by osmosis and just, just, just following the river in front of me, I think, I think the, the, the agency's kind of been, been built out of this kind of love affair with, with building imaginary worlds and, and, and ones that hopefully stay with people and 
sometimes, you know, my hope is that they can be timeless, that they stay with people and, and um, have, have a lasting impression that means something. Because I think we all as creatives, we want recognition and, and we want some form of legacy. And the wonderful yes. thing about working on films is that there's the opportunity to have that if you get it right. I, I don't know which films will have the most legacy. You know, we've, we've worked on some Fast and Furious films and, I, you know, version four, I think, was the first one that we worked on. Um, and I think we've just, we've just wrapped on version nine and it, and it impresses me how, how long some of these films kind of keep, keep on going. Whereas 2049, you know, was, was critically acclaimed, but didn't do quite as well at the box office. So it's fascinating to kind of see which things resonate with people and, and, and have a deeper meaning. Yes, exactly. And, and there's lots of different ways. I imagine you can judge the success of something, you know, box office being one other films are more of a, of a, of a slow burn. But I think it's fantastic that you've that red thread as you as you described it around world building and, and storytelling. It sounds like it's enabled you to it's, it's provided the sort of scaffolding, if you like, for you, for you to be able to go into all these other areas. Because because I think a, a lot of what you're saying will resonate with with creative people in in the sense of having this curiosity where they find so many things interesting but when it comes to their career or their agency proposition we tend to live in a world of specialisms now and mm. and and people like a very sort of clear focus like what what do you do okay we 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 do graphic design we do packaging we do motion graphics and quite often if your work is ve- is very diverse and in lots of different sectors and you can do lots of different things i think people often struggle with relating to that from a, from from simply a purchasing decision it's like oh we need an app let's go to those people because they build apps and uh, so it can be quite singular so it's it it's great you've managed to build out the you know the opportunity to do to take that central idea and apply it in in so many different spaces i think i've always been a little bit suspicious of um you know, and you read it in lots of books, and I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Jim Collins and his books, but um, I've always been a little bit suspicious of the idea that it can either be, you're either a specialist um, or you're a generalist as a company. And, and companies that specialise and focus on one thing are likely to be stronger than, than companies that generalise. And I think territory might have struck on something in that we have a whole set of specialisms that allow us to kind of interplay in the gaps as well. And so we don't, we don't lose our critical thinking and um, kind of level of craft. Um, and we can, we can take that high, those high specialisms and apply them to others. Um, but that gives us a nice, we have quite a broad play area um, because we found ways to transpose them to other problems. Yes. Um, and, and I think if you if you can create that duality between specialism and, and generalist, what you get is a vibrant creative environment. And that vibrancy comes from, from personal growth. People want to become great at something, so they do need to specialise. But if you just if if I just zoned people in on, on interfaces for films, I think their growth would be quite incremental. But if you suddenly move people around and they're problem solving for a game and then they're problem solving an experience for a brand and then they come back to film, their work um, improvement is, is that much more. So I, I, th- I think there's ways of playing with it, playing with that structure that um, yes. just helps them get more enjoyment from their role and, and therefore they're, they're just, you know, their work is that much better mm-hmm. for it. So it's a tough place to be, I think, uh, being a creative anywhere in any sector. So, but as you say, when you do manage to sort of balance those tensions in that duality, as you describe it, it's it's super exciting, but not but not easy to do. Um, I think all creatives need to be okay with the fact that it is tough, and that actually that's part of the pleasure. Um, just overcoming those challenges. If we didn't have challenges to overcome, or certainly for me, you know, if I didn't have problems to solve and if it wasn't tough, then it probably wouldn't, it wouldn't be enjoyable. You know, it wouldn't be, if I, if I was repeating myself at this time and, you know, just, it's just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. I'm not sure, I'm not sure any of our teams would have pleasure in that. 
it's just measuring it's, it's measuring how measuring that, yeah <laughs> yeah and the, the film industry can demand a lot you know it's it's amazing they will expect everything at, at, at a top top level and extremely quickly you know they they are they are unrelenting in those demands and it's funny you know we put people on films and you think oh my god are they going to burn out and and i think some people do really struggle with it but when they come off of that and they they maybe you know find something that's a little bit slower paced it it it, it, it can it can sometimes feel a little bit uh, more pedestrian and but they you, you still find the teams kind of then applying that filmic rigor to to all the other the projects they're working on because they've suddenly discovered actually that's the way that I like to work yes yeah fa- fascinating and f- full of lots of tensions in there it, I'm, th- I'm thinking about on the one hand commercially you want to do great successful work every time but by the very nature of what you're doing if it was replicable every time, and I, and I don't mean in terms of the quality of the graphics or anything like that, but in terms of the overall result for the film as a, as a project, you can't predict in advance exactly what, what's going to happen. But I guess if you could, that would take a little bit of the thrill out of it because it is, in a sense, a leap into the, into the unknown and it's that unknown factor which makes it so, so exciting. It, rather than being okay, yeah. let 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 let's do this again. Yeah, just there, there, there has to be some risk there. There has to be yes, and, risk. That's um, it exactly. Risk. My risk. my team my team giggle at me because you know I'll say oh, I'm talking to this new project and um, I think it's going to be amazing and no one's ever done it before and I get this <laughs> I get this little roll of eyes like oh no what what has he said yes to now. And right. um, <laughs> and I love that. I love I love the fact that um, we we do we do take on a lot of things, a lot of firsts, either for us as a studio or more generally. And it just keeps things alive. I think I think it, yes. I think it's important as long as it's measured risk. You know, us us talking about optimism. I, I think um, Julian in one of your previous podcasts kind of mentioned. You know, he hates the idea that it's it's just blind optimism. I don't think it's that. I think if you, if you stay, if actually, in fact, if you stay informed and you're, and you're making smart decisions, hopefully it's, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely not blind optimism, but it's, it's giving yourself a series of tools that you can be optimistic about something that is actually quite risky. That is definitely a tension. Uh, And I say that with a wry smile on my face. Imagine what my team, (laughs) team might be thinking right now. Yeah. Risk, risk. So, as you already touched upon, work with some of the world's leading film directors, Ridley Scott, Denise Villeneuve, for example, who directed Blade Runner 2049. Have you sort of picked up anything from working with these kinds of, I guess you could describe them as high performing individuals? They're obviously under an immense amount of pressure because of film budgets. And I imagine making a film as full of highs and lows and and stress and and challenges so have you picked up or learned anything from from working with with people like ridley scott yeah massively massively i think i think whenever you're working with a film director or or in fact you know any creative that's kind of at the top of their game i i find myself not speaking so much and just listening and taking a lot of notes and just kind of just kind of learning from them because all of that experience there is just it's just so valuable I remember conversations with Ridley would, um, they, they were so generous. You know, he, he was really trying to find a way to liberate our creative, um, our creative work in a way that wouldn't mean that he needed to be prescriptive. And, and, and actually, there's an efficiency around that. So if you think about a film director, they've only got so much time to give every single person. So if you can get the, if you can be pithy and, quite brilliant with your creative brief if you've also been you know very selective in the teams that you work with so an ability to spot great talent and then an ability to trust that talent in you giving them you know and and giving them a great brief you shouldn't need to do anything else I learned to become a very hands-off creative director quite early and not hands-off as in you know just letting the whole thing fall apart but actually focus Focusing my energy around two things, and that is finding great people and teams, and then discovering the, the 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 juice in the brief. You know, really, 
really giving a brief and setting people off on a way and then leaving them to do amazing work. And I think there's a third, actually, there's actually a third component to that, which the studio can do, which is give them an environment that allows them to do great work and a tool set and yeah, all the facilities around them. But so for me as a creative director, I really started thinking about how do we find the optimism or the opportunity or the, 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 you know, the smart way forward in this project. So, you know, Ridley would always try and find ways to not repeat himself or not repeat what's been done in other films. And he would find, because he's an artist, because he's, well, he's actually, you know, he's, 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 he's trained as a graphic designer. He's, he's, he's got that background. So in particular, Very visual. When brief, yeah, when he's briefing us on things like the Martian and Prometheus, the things that he's drawing our attention to are not other interfaces or um, the use of technology in a film at all. In, in fact, his words often were, uh, forget about Minority Report, forget about um, yes. Iron, Man, Iron Man or whatever, whatever the kind of the most recent um, interface. In the film you could, you know, yeah. Mm. Um, and he, he would set us off on, ta- you know, he'd talk about fine art, he'd talk about contemporary dance, with Prometheus, he really set us off on the underwater sea life um, moment as inspiration. On yes. The Martian, it was more about actually us understanding the material. So he and a lot of directors actually have always very much, and, and the production designers that we work with, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm giving all the credit to the director here, but actually the production designers that we work so closely with are a, a big component of this, of making us, really research the material that we're working with so i've talked about this a lot in the past but the martian we were hugely influenced by ridley and arthur max suggesting that we just speak with nasa for a couple of months and so we had direct access to dave lavery who heads up jet propulsion labs and he would spend you know hours with us on phone calls just helping us understand what all this data is in mission control and he would supply a lot of that data as well. So it was all authentic. And then what's happening is you're creating these informed, smart creatives that just completely understand the formatting of the data, what people are looking at, how they're responding to it. What's, you know, what's the emotional engagement with that content? What, what, what are they pointing at? What are they looking at? And almost becoming uh, an expert on set. So when the directors ask more, you know, what, what, what the hell are we looking at here? What does this mean? Yeah, we become it's a visual. thrust propulsion arc, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, and Dave was amazing. He would give us, cal- he actually gave us the calculations for um, the change in trajectory to slingshot around the Earth and kind of go back to Mars. Um, you know, so it was all, it was all really well informed. And I think when when you're doing research and you're building out these smart teams, they can't help but, you know, do work on a di- different trajectory. They're, they're their, their minds are in a, in a different place. You, you've, you've taken them out of the groove and you've you put them somewhere else. So I think influencing it in that way, using external influence, like people that, you know, we worked with, there was a film that we worked with, Hunter Killer, and we had the pleasure of working with a naval officer to completely describe and understand how sonar and all the various different systems on the submarine works. Right. Um, and it was funny because we weren't actually allowed to see the actual systems that are used on the submarine for, for national security reasons. Um, so this this officer was it was you know just kind of verbally describing them to us, and we were you know kind of working with them on that. So that change in process, I think, is fantastic. And and holding ourselves to a higher standard than just kind of putting in data fluff in there, which. We right. have to do sometimes, you know, there's, there's no getting away from it, but well, when, I guess when that's when your, you're imagining things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the films like guardians of the galaxy where you're talking about a walking, talking tree and a robotic raccoon, you know, I, there's no amount of tutting from a UX designer that's going to convince me that um, yeah. there's any research for that. We, we can right. think about the characters, you know, you, yes. you base it, you base it on narrative principles. Um, but you, you can't, back on logic as much um so you have to you have to you really do have to be a slave to the story and that world building can be quite fantastical but actually do you know what that's what's quite fun sometimes just a a blank piece of paper and you know running wild um i i don't i i I don't think there's anything wrong with that i think having some pleasure and some enjoyment that when you can have it i think i think you i think you should go crazy yes Um, yeah and enjoy those moments. 
there's been lots of innovation in the media space. Uh, and there are so many things we could pick up here, whether it's trends in gaming or, you know, what's happening with AR or, or, or VR. From, from your perspective, what are, you, what are you excited about right now within the various industries that, that you work in? Um, are there any particular trends that stand out for you? Are there any new forms of content coming out that are exciting or the, the content wars that we have between you know, Netflix and HBO, Disney Plus and, and other new players coming onto the market? So as you look at all of that, what, what are you most excited about at the moment? Yeah, so I guess, well, I guess there's two things. I guess, um, you know, there's, there's probably, there's a, you know, the creative tool sets are being challenged at the moment. So the actual process of creating for all those different medias, um, I think is about to shift in, in a massive way. Um, and I don't think people realise just how big it's going to be. And it's funny because it's actually quite an old technology. But so I think so there's an impact there. And then I think also the distribution model is, is, is constantly being challenged. And um, you know, just to acknowledge the virus and, and the world that we're in, I feel incredibly fortunate that we are in a business that means that that we can still continue. You know, I think that that is just blind luck. I don't I don't think we could have foreseen that. Yes. Um, but but what I do love is I I do know that um, the creative industry in general and the tech industry to a wider degree responds very well when things are shaken up and there's a reset and we can you know look at things fresh so i'm you know in terms of optimism i'm thinking that this our industries will do well here long long term i think we're made for these types of situations so i'm 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 feeling good about that so in terms of creative production the the thing that's coming through and in fact, we've been working with it for 10 years because we've been working on working with games clients for so long. But, you know, real-time technologies, which is essentially, you know, it's game engine. It's, it's what you use to build 3D games. Um, so like Unreal, like the Unreal exactly. engine. Unreal yeah. and Unity and, and all the others. There's, yeah. quite, there's quite a few of them. But yeah, I guess Unreal and Unity are definitely the, the well-known ones. And for people that don't know, it's the ability to manipulate three-dimensional assets in in real time so so that's something sorry to interrupt but that's something a few years ago would be unthinkable in terms of processing power and if we well yes and no i mean we've been playing on 3d computer games for about 15 20 years you know i don't know when doom came out but you know that has that has been there quite a while i think the difference is i don't know why this has happened now but the, the difference is people have realized it's actually that technology is actually applicable to a load of other stuff that we're doing. So um, I, I've been thinking this for a long time and just thinking, but I don't want to be one of those people that jumps in too early. I can't, you know, we all need to time this right. And that the people need to kind of align, you know, the stars need to align and people need to join up the dots a little bit for this to all work well. But essentially, you know, VR and AR and whatever will need to, to use this technology but so will 3D mapping, so will, you know, data visualizations. If we're talking about what happens to the experiential space, well, one thing could be you could create a virtual version of that. So I, I truly believe that I think motion graphics will be influenced by it. Visual effects is already being influenced by it. We've just worked on a film where instead of the, the visual effects being put in at the end of the film, we created all the CG visual effects shots before the film got shot to go onto LED, um, what they call an LED volume. It's like an LED room. And so when you step into that LED room, you're surrounded by your visual effects, your, your other world. And then you can film people within that. So you can actually capture all your visual effects in shot. They used, they used a similar technology in gravity, you know, uh, yes. to kind of get all the lighting effects on um, Sandra Bullock. And, and um, more, more recently in Mandalorian is a good, good example with Disney and Star Wars. Um, but, and we're doing, we're doing it, of course, because we have this experience in bringing live graphics onto a film set. So the game engines allow you to do that for film and, and means that we can do things safely, more safely in, in, a, in a post-COVID world with, with film shoots. So that's becoming critical. It becomes critical to other delivery mechanisms like VR, AR, 
you know, just seeing the recent um, Fortnite game and having live music performances within the game. I think all of these crossovers is all starting to merge. And I think two or three years down the road, it would be lovely to see signature architects working with film directors, working with game directors, bringing all of these creative minds together and creating something that just hasn't been done before. And I can, mm. I can see that's, that's all starting to happen. A lot yes. of the experiential work that we're doing at the moment is all leaning on game engine. You know, it's using haptics, but those haptics are then feeding into holograms and those holograms are being created using, you know, real-time 3D technology. Engines, so yes. it, yeah, so that's all coming through and, and it's another tool set for the creatives to learn. But I do think that it's, it's not completely out of the question. And it used to be that the visual fidelity, you had to sacrifice something for that re that that real-time real aspect time. Mm. yeah but but because it's getting you know, there's a new demo um unreal 5 now which is absolutely amazing and I, I can see a time when there will be no difference between rendering something um and you know sitting around and waiting for hours for your final results to come out versus real-time technology and you know the visual quality there so that's really exciting that that fills me with a lot of hope and just free, again, it just frees up the creators to think differently. That that shift in technology creates a paradigm shift in the same way that you know when when photography came out, we suddenly had impressionist artists. It, challenge, it challenges the medium, it challenges the, the people that work in that space, and and suddenly we're we're producing um, different things. New work, yeah, yeah, and I think that's wonderful. I think that's something to be celebrated. And then in terms of in terms of distribution, it's. Um, it's all up for grabs. I know it's um, an amazing time, isn't it? Is, yeah, yeah, I mean, Universal with you know releasing Trolls on a instead of going to cinemas, doing an immediate digital download, and that being an amazing success, just goes to show that you don't have to rely on cinema. I think that there's a little bit of a shame. You know, I love cinema. I love cinema, and when I'm allowed to go back to cinema, I will. But for mechanisms to be there so that you have the choice and you can either watch it on your, your home TV or you can go into cinema and, and, and pay a similar price. I think, I, I think that that will ultimately be a positive. Um, regardless, I guess, of the deployment of the distribution, that everyone's expectations of content has increased. They all expect Westworld's level uh, storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think it was so good because I, I I was getting so tired of all the reality TV shows and 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 thinking that it was a travel towards it was it was a travel towards the bottom and in fact it's actually been again it's been technology and a, a shift in 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 consumer behaviour that's created this massive demand for high quality content and um, I feel like we're in a second renaissance at the moment in the in the in the content space. I feel yeah. it's just really exciting. And, you know, one of the silver linings to come out of the, the virus situation is that suddenly animation studios are busier than ever um, because they can continue to make content while the, the, the film production crews um, are waiting. Down, yeah. To kind of, yeah, yeah. So, so, and I love animation, you know, and I don't think it's just for kids. Um, I think there's some Akira. Quality. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Akira. Yeah, yeah. That's home. That amazing, blew me amazing. away when I first saw that in the it's in the 90s yeah just phenomenal and sort of a lot of those if i again it's not my area of expertise but it's still by essentially done by hand right uh, at the time yeah yeah but if you think of if you think of uh, more recently spider-verse you know there was there was sony and marvel taking a risk and creating a show that um you know, I almost don't know what demographic it fits into. And on paper, it shouldn't have made the amount of money that it did at the box office. But those risks are paying off. And I think somebody like Netflix stepping into the market and actually saying, do you know what? Our success is not based on individual title success, but just we can take more risks because we are subscription based. Suddenly that risk taking just it it elevates the the entire creative community because they're they're able to take some risks and learn from that and move forward and make better work. So I think ultimately that whole that whole change is going to um, 
create a, te uh, a tech and a creative community that, that, that is, is, is that much sharper. Moving things along to this idea of, of optimism, which we've, we've been talking about a lot um, over the last um, few minutes in the context of, of uh, content and, and, and the areas where you work, what, what does optimism mean to you personally? Do you, do you think of yourself as an optimist and where do you get your, your optimism and inspiration from? Yeah. I mean, as a business owner, I have, massive highs and lows especially at the moment um you know it's, yeah. it's it's an emotional roller coaster i think for everyone right now so but but i think i kind of sit somewhere between realist and optimist hopefully i'm probably more towards a high level optimist than i am a realist maybe i i just think it's more useful to you you know i think having having energy and putting your putting your attention on things that will help you be an optimist and, and give you that sense that you can, that you can move forward in a, in a good direction. That that's worthwhile doing. I don't, I don't think it helps any, anyone kind of being in a, in a negative state for too long. Um, so, I mean, it's a bit like people saying you need to make your own luck. I think, I think it's the same with, with optimism. You need to kind of set up a, a, a framework in place so that you can be, you know, give, give yourself that chance and that's tricky right now. You know, it's really tricky because everything's moving around. The, the sands are shifting beneath, beneath all of our feet and we're trying to figure out what the future holds. And, mm. um, and that can be scary. But, you know, like I was saying earlier, there's a, there is the, that real kind of fine line between, I guess, uh, panic and... and um, Elation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're closely tied. So it's just it's just being mindful, isn't it? I think I think with all of this stuff, it's just being just being conscious of your state. And I think you can proactively engineer some of that to give yourself the best chance. And sometimes just bad luck sets in, and you know sure. you just kind of there's no influence on that. But I think giving yourself as much opportunity to take control of things as you think as you can. And like I say, we are incredibly, incredibly lucky that we are one of those companies that can continue. So if you can continue, then let's, um, let's crack on and, and, and do something with that. And we're, we, we've definitely had to pivot. You know, there's film, films aren't on at the moment. Um, no one's building anything. So we've seen a portion of our work stop there. Experiential projects, no one's going to any live events. So um, that's, that's kind of drying up. But there's still opportunities out there, you know. There's still there's still work going on. Clever people still want to do great things, and yes. um, and it's just and it's challenged me to rethink rethink the work, rethink how we're and and we were lucky that you know we do work with games clients, we do work with animation clients, we do work with brands that have longer visions, you know, of the world. We do we do a lot of work in the automotive space and and with tech brands, and they're not they're seeing this as a blip. Um, and 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 have longer term views, and and I want to be of the same. You know, let's let's see how we can turn this into an to an opportunity, and and um, uh, maybe just rethink some things and get and get the business really um, solid and stable. Because I think we we grew out of a recession. We we grew out of the banking crash. You know, the banking crash was what two thousand and eight. Yeah, um, and that's when it we, started. We, yeah, so we were fe we're feeling the full effects of it in 2010, and that's when we set up, and um, and that was tough. You know, that was tough. No, it was really hard to get work. It was it was every, everyone was just going for the safe bet. So if you were going to a brand, were, oh, well, we've already kind of got our incumbent agencies, and we don't really understand what your offering is, so we're we're kind of all okay for now. Um, and it would be the same when we're talking to agencies. I've kind of no, we've already got our vendors in place. So we had to. We had to, you know, figure out how do we how do we sit in amongst all of this and and still get, and still get some work. And what we realised was that we 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 had a good opportunity to pick up the projects that were really unusual, and maybe didn't already have an associated, um, you know, brand or agency kind of picking up that work. So it was it was all the unusual. It was all the brand new kind of things coming through, like VR and AR and doing screen graphics for films. You know, people weren't. People weren't doing this as a as a, as a business, um, and so we kind of we kind of slipped between the cracks in a lot of ways, and then that's really become a part of our identity. You know, we we like taking on the unusual, challenging projects, and unfortunately, there's there's been a lot of growth in that 
And I think we'll just have to do the same again. I think it will just slightly recalibrate us. I don't think we'll completely change what we're doing. We'll, you know, we'll look at the tech that we're using. We'll look at the, the you know, the company structure as in, you know, our, our working environment. You know, are we, do we believe in a building of a hundred people all coming in five days a week or does, does that, does that change in some way? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's asked some really good questions of us. I think it's marvelous what you just said there, just picking up on the way that you articulated what optimism means to you, because it's so obvious when you say it, but I, I, I've never heard it framed in that way. And I certainly don't necessarily or I haven't rationalized it in that way, what you describe as, well, being optimistic is going to be more useful to you. It's going to get you, you know, closer to a place where you want to be than being pessimistic. It's very, very simple and obvious, but it, it's so true in terms of where we are now, this idea of, well, what kind of future do we want to create either for our businesses or individuals or society, et cetera. That idea of the mindset that sits behind the actions and things that you do and the things that you strive for, if it's a pessimistic mindset and a pessimistic approach, you're going to end up in a very different place than if you're using an optimistic mindset. And I think framing it as you just did around well, being optimistic is just going to be more useful is, is a really lovely and simple way of, of, uh, of thinking about it, which is what this podcast is, 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 is all about. This, this particular series is just to sort of kick the tires around this, 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 this theme of, of, of optimism. So if we think about moving on to some time horizons, in terms of optimism, what, what, what are you optimistic about in the short term, like right now? I think it's been really interesting to see that we, you know, we've, we've switched off planes and cars and all the rest of it and we're all still breathing and it's all okay. I think it's made us grateful for some very simple things in life, you know, and it's created a lot of empathy. There seems to be just this underlying cultural shift that we're all, um, if it all feels a little bit more communal, you know, we're all uh, and, and and reminded us of, of of the things that are actually important, and that's that's been amazing. You know, more immediately, I feel that much you know closer to my family, to my team, and in taking away my ability to just meet up with my parents or my parents seeing their grandchildren or you know not not driving everywhere and and being able to fly around the globe and you know doing very different different things in business I'm, I'm hoping that appreciation lasts uh, yeah um, I, I really do I, I think that that's some real positive and and you know just our appreciation of the NHS and the frontline workers I think that's been <laughs> not not to get political on your show but you know I, no, I, that's, I that's wholeheartedly fine. agree with that that's that's been great to see and yeah. uh, again a wry smile on my face I wonder how much of that is is actually going to continue both politically, but also the society's view in terms of you see small things such as cafes offering big discounts to NHS workers. uh, And you've got hotels, some five-star hotels where the, the staff are actually preparing meals for NHS workers where they can come and pick them up. Uh, uh, so there's, there's lots of acts of, of, of kindness for those people who are not very well paid and, and do an amazing job. I, I, I wonder whether it, this is, it's probably the wrong word, but a fad. And if we fast forward a year or two, whether all, the, all those things would have just disappeared into the background or whether this is a, a genuine watershed moment, be it, Things like how much tax NHS workers pay or whether brands will provide long-term discounts for people working in social care and, and other things. Yeah, yeah. And, and just more specifically, in the creative community, um, I've seen people all helping each other out, like the freelance community, all just kind of rallying around together, figuring out how they're going to make it work financially and all the rest of it. And um, we as a company are trying to, trying to help. And, but also... 
you know, and, and I think this has been accelerated because I think it was there already. We, I, I was already doing a lot of this, but um, I've seen a real camaraderie between agency owners, which, which has been so good to see, you know, um, uh, you know, I've got, you know, yourself Lee, you know, love, love chatting to you and, and kind of talking about everything that's going on and kind of our views of moving ahead and all the rest of it. And the same with people like, um, Matt at Moving Brands and Andy at 2LK and, um, more recently John at, um, us too. And, and lots of different people that it, it's, yes, we're all trying to win work. And yes, we all just need to survive through this, but there's just, there's just a, um, uh, are wanting to help everyone in the same boat kind of get through it, and yeah. um, and I and I didn't think I didn't think it would come through in such a massive way within the, the creative industry, but it really is. You know, everyone is really rallying around each other and, and trying to figure this out together because it's it's you know it's kind of an unseen enemy or just just something you you can't you, you know it's really far bigger than us. Yes, um, and and we, and we all want to come through this and, and be stronger at the at the back uh, back end of it. But that empathy, I think, empathy throughout has been the great silver lining, more immediately. And I do, I really hope that that kind of appreciation just just continues for as long as it can do. We don't forget yeah. too soon. So we're asking everyone who comes on the show what their view is broadly about: Are we heading to a a new normal or? is this idea of everything's going to be different, exaggerated, and there's lots of different schools of thought out there uh, uh, around this. Do you, do you, do you have a, a sense, obviously this, this is still playing out and there's a lot we don't, we don't know about the virus, but do you, do you think we're heading for a, a new normal or do you, do you think things will go back to where they were or, you know, shades of gray in between? Do you, do you have a view yeah. on that? Well, there's there's a thinking, isn't there, that you you kind of overestimate your no, you overestimate your one year plan, but you underestimate your ten year plan. And I think, I think probably something like that is going on with this. In that we 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 are probably overestimating the immediate effects. You know, I think we're very knee jerk on and and probably overcompensating um, with the next one, you know, twelve months. Yeah, but I suspect we don't realise just what the ripple effects are going to be longer term. That's my suspicion. Um, I'm not really, really happy to to future gaze and um, to imagine what if. But on this one, I think because it's it's so closely aligned with people's health, there's nothing more important than that. Uh, it's it, it's hard to imagine all the other all the other things. But I, I do think this is going to have a, an effect far longer than we realise. Um, and I'm yeah. hoping some of that effect will be positive. I'm hoping yes. some of that will be, you know, the empathy and all the rest of it. Mm. Looking further afield then, we've talked about what you're optimistic about right uh, right now. So if we change our time horizon to f- further into the future, what, what are you optimistic about long term? What might be some of those lasting changes that you talked about if we think about three to five, ten years ahead? Um, so for film, film and TV, I think I think it's and storytelling. I just think we're just building out this amazing high-level skill set. You know, I'm just I'm just seeing the industry grow and move forward, and its its willingness to take on new technologies and and do things better is just incredible. You know, just to be a part of that is just is so exciting. Same with the games industry and and a lot of the technology brands and. Um, in fact, all the brand, you know, a lot of the brands that we work with, they're all just so future thinking. They've got so many great things that they can be looking forward to. Transport, I think, is going to be really interesting. I think there's going to be big shifts there, and I think ultimately they'll all be positive. I think um, this has accelerated the conversation around, um, you know, protecting our planet, and. That's right, yeah. And and I think that's great. I think that's great. I think we can be optimistic about that. I think it's shown that, um, you know, we get, we, we, we don't have to be reliant on fossil fuels. I think, you know, we can, we can move over to self-driving cars and electric vehicles and, and, and solve some problems if we're forced to. So let's, let's have a proper look at that. So I think transport is a massive one that I'm, I'm so fascinated by. 
people and movement, um, I think is, is, is a critical one. And then I'm really, I'm really excited by the medical tech space. We, we had this wonderful project. We work with a brand called Medivis and we help them create this um, AR app for the HoloLens where you can augment 3D radiography imaging. So three, essentially 3D holograms of the internal makeup mm-hmm. of somebody's body, augment it over the top of them in a, in a live surgical environment so that surgeons can um, better perform operations. I mean, that was, to have that real world effect, you know, <laughs> we, we, we often work in make-believe. And, you know, as glamorous as that sounds, you know, the grass is always greener and, and we, we often want to be working on real world projects. You know, it's not to understell self storytelling because I love entertaining no, no, no. people and I love, I love moving people. You know, I love telling those stories. But it, it, it's great to kind of take that skill set and apply it to some, some physical problem solving. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So that's what, I'm really looking forward to doing more of that. So that brings us beautifully back to where we started, which is how you've been able to have that thread of taking the various skill sets that you have as a studio and apply it into all these different areas. So that brings things around in a, in a beautiful, beautiful loop. Thank you so much for the conversation, David. I've, I've really enjoyed it and could talk to you for another hour or more about all these different um, technologies and trends, but thank you so much for your time and for sharing your unique perspectives working in all these different industries and what's going on with these various different technologies and also your perspective on optimism as, uh, as an individual, but also someone who's, who's running a creative business. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Lee. Thanks for asking and thanks for listening. So thanks for listening to this episode with David Sheldon Hicks. My personal takeaway on optimism from this conversation with David is the simple but powerful idea that optimism is going to be more useful to you than pessimism. It's really as basic as that. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to hear about new episodes. You can subscribe to our occasional newsletter at doorglobal.com to hear about our events and articles. If you have any comments or want to get in touch, feel free to email us at contact at doorglobal.com. My name is Lee Sankey, and until next time, keep well and thanks for listening.